Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we, were, uh, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was, uh, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we live in a broken world, and we do pray that we may understand the times in which we live, and that whatever our circumstances, we may be Christians. And uh, we do pray that as we start this new series dealing with the controversial issues of our times and of our culture, that you will help us to think as Christians and help us to think biblically. So we pray that you will open our minds, pray especially that you'll help me to uh, get it right. And we pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. Our next five weeks, we're going to be dealing with the issue of controversial issues. And uh, next week, we're going to look at, at abortion. The week after that, we'll look at LGBTQ. The week after that, we'll look at the roles of men and women. The week after that, we'll look at race and racism. Can't be a whole lot more controversial than that. But we want to see what God's Word, God's Word gives us guidelines uh, for all of life. And so we want to pick up God's Word and God's guidelines for all of life. Now this morning, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at a more general topic that I've called the intolerance of tolerance. That uh, in the last 10, 15, 20 years... In the Western world, there has been a major change. And uh, we want to have a look at that, because we need to understand that as Christians. Our culture is changing, and it's changing very rapidly. And uh, we need to understand that as Christians, in order that we know what we believe, in order that we know what the truth is, and, and so that we know how to respond to these changes in our culture, and especially within the Western culture. Let's just start off at uh, looking at Ephesians chapter 6. You may want to turn to that, Ephesians chapter 6. And just let me mention, check your cell phone that it's on silent. So just have a look that it's on silent. 
If you have a small child or baby with you who gives you difficulty, we have a cry room or on the veranda there are speakers and you can slip out. Here's the context, here's the background to really what we're talking about over the next four or five weeks. And it sort of sets the scene. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, which is in modern-day Europe. And um, so that's uh, quite, quite appropriate. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to, able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So if we were to go behind the scenes, if we were to go into the control room of the military headquarters of Satan, then we will understand that we are in warfare. And too often we forget that. We forget that there are evil spirits. We forget that there is a Satan who Jesus calls the prince of this world. He's not the king of the world, but he is the prince of the world, which means he has power. And so he will use his power in all kinds of different ways to break down the work of God, to break down the church, to break down marriage, to break down family. So we need to understand when we're talking about all these issues, behind it all, there is a spiritual warfare. And uh, we need to be aware of that. We need to understand that. We need to know who the enemy is. And we need to understand how the enemy operates so that we can respond appropriately. So that's really what we're talking about this morning and over the next couple of, couple of weeks. We're going to look at three main points. Uh, Peter, there are no side roads. Um, uh, what is happening? Why is it happening? And how do we respond? So we're looking at those three things. What's happening? Why is it happening? And how do we respond? Let me just say that I've been, uh, so I read all the time. Um, because I need to learn and grow, of course. If you're teaching God's people, you, you never stop studying and learning and growing. Uh, but the last couple of months, I've been specially reading over these kinds of issues. Uh, the kind of people who have really helped me, I'll mention them. And actually, I'll put onto our website within the next week some of the resources. There'll, there'll be books, there'll be websites, there'll be podcasts, there'll be articles that you can go to so that you can educate yourself on these kinds of issues. It is critical that we understand what's happening and why it's happening and how we should respond. Some of the people who have helped me are people like Ravi Zacharias, uh, Oz Guinness, uh, Don Carson. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a Catholic lady called Mary Eberstadt, and she wrote a great book called It's Dangerous to Believe, and that's how it is. Uh, Nancy Piercy, she's written a number of brilliant books, and uh, she was really mentored by Francis Schaeffer. So those are some of the, some of the people I've been reading, um, and they've helped me. I want to give them credit because they've helped me to think through some of these issues. First question then, what is happening? If we look back over the last uh, 80 years, there have been two totalitarian threats to the Western world. 
The one was communism, it was totalitarian, and the other was Nazi Germany. And the Western world successfully defeated those two totalitarian regimes which were wanting to take over the world. We are now facing two new totalitarian regimes. The one is Islam. We're not going to talk about that. And the other is what I'm calling the new left. I'm not talking about um, liberals. I'm talking about the new left. Because as you will see and as you know almost instinctively, the new left is not concerned about truth. They are concerned about power. And those are the two regimes that we are facing as Christians. And we need to know what, what it stands for, and we especially having a look at the new left. The Western world, what is happening with the new left is, is that the Western world is being taken over by this intellectual elite. It's the media, it's politicians, it's state organizations, it's universities who have taken over pretty much lock, stock, and barrel the values of the Western world. Historically, the Western world has been committed, and this is the last 500 years. So the Roman Empire was uh, in power for 800 years, and it fell. The Greek Empire fell. The, the Egyptian Empire fell. The Babylonian Empire fell. The Nazi Empire fell. The Communist Empire fell. The Apartheid Empire fell. Well, we're living in the twilight of the Western Empire. It started about 500 years ago with the Renaissance and the Reformation, both of which, especially the Reformation, were massively influenced by the Bible, which said that human beings have value, have dignity, have worth. And so the Western world has been built upon the foundation of human rights, human dignity, justice, fairness, freedom, freedom of belief, freedom of speech, freedom of association. The key text, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, the key, key text, and you'll find it fleshed out in the rest of the Bible. But here it is on the first page of the Bible. God makes quite clear what should be the basis of our culture, of our civilizations. And when we deviate from this, in the end they crash. That's what happens. That's what's been happening for 3,000 years. The key principle, verse 26, chapter 1, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So what does that mean? That means we are not the product of evolution. It means that we are not like the animals. In many ways, we are. We eat, we drink, we sleep, we reproduce. But in significant ways, we are vastly different. We are another type. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, God breathed the breath of life into Adam. We are made in the image of God. We have souls. We have, we have spirits. We have infinite value because we bear the image of God. We have, we have eternal worth because we are made in the image of God. We have non-negotiable rights because of Genesis 1, 26, 27. Inalienable rights. And the Western civilization, of which we are the product, thankfully, 
comes from this principle. Here's the rock. Here's the, here's the basis. What is happening is that, and you picked it up. You picked it up on social media. You picked it up in newspapers. You picked it up in f- movies. Uh, um, you've, you picked it up from colleagues and friends. But actually, there's a movement. And it's militant and it's aggressive. And it's specifically against Christian values and the Christian God and Christian beliefs. It is anti-Christ. I'm not saying it is the Antichrist. In fact, John tells us in 1 John that there are many Antichrists. But this movement is aggressive. It is militant. It is Antichrist. And it's not long before Christian churches in Western countries will become persecuted churches, will become underground churches. And there's this aggressive attack against God, against Christian values, against marriage, against the family, against the church. I'm going to give you some examples. There's actually tens of thousands of examples, probably hundreds of thousands. They're just examples of what is happening. And it's not the end, it's the beginning. These are the beginning skirmishes of our cultural war, which we're in. And uh, our Christian values are being negated and thrown out the window. Let me give you some examples. They're mainly from the UK and the USA. They Normally, we're about five, ten years behind them culturally, thankfully. Um, that's a joke. Uh, you see, that'll be the... That's a difference. So when Ruin tells a joke, you all laugh. When... <laughs> When I tell a joke, I've got to tell you it's a joke. So, guys, things are looking up. Things are looking up. So, so though we are Africa, we have different values. Nonetheless, we are all hugely influenced by the West and by Western values. Let's have a look at the intolerance of the so-called tolerant, the new left. They call themselves tolerant, but they're not. On the contrary, they are intolerant. 2005, the bank, a bank in Manchester, England, asked a Christian organization called Christian Voice to close its account at the bank because the views of Christian Voice were incompatible with the views of the bank on the issue of LGBTQ. Can you imagine that? You can't do business, you can't do banking. Why? Because of your beliefs. I mean, that's absurd. So they said, you must close your account. Why? Because of your beliefs on LGBTQ. You cannot have an account with our bank. Now, of course, they didn't do that with Muslims. Muslim, Islam does not agree with LGBT, but they didn't do that with, with Muslims or Hindus or Jews. No, they did it with Christians. Do you know that in England, for, for the last, you can speak to John, who's, who's a guest here from England, for the last 20 years, street preachers, those of you who come from a black those of you who are black, you know that in the trains, you have preachers. Well, in England, if you a train preacher or a street preacher, there have been cases where they have been jailed for teaching the Bible. That is happening. And uh, it's happening to this day. You can, you can talk about anything else publicly, but don't teach the Bible. Don't say negative things about sin. 
In 2014, Brendan Eich, a CEO of an IT company, lost his job because it was discovered that he had donated money to an organization which approved of marriage between one man and one woman. He lost his job. It, it was a case in the USA. It was quite a public case. You can look it up. And it wasn't a legal case. It was just pressure from the media, from, from, uh, from organizations that were pro-gay. And in the end, he lost his job. Why? Because of his opinion, his belief. He gave money to an organization that the new left don't like. There's no freedom in that. In England, a teacher, was, uh, a teacher asked a sick student if she could pray for the student. The student declined. The teacher did not pray. The next day, the student's parents complained. The teacher was fired. The authorities said that her offer of prayer amounted to bullying. That is not an isolated case. There was a nurse in an English hospital, and the patient asked the nurse if she could pray for her. The nurse prayed for her. She was suspended. Those are not isolated cases. That is a new culture. That's a new civilization. That's a new intolerance. That's a new totalitarianism, a new fascism, which is coming into our world, into our culture. Facebook UK has over 78 gender options, but if Catholic priests use the term father, or sometimes FR, on their personal pages, they are automatically shut down because the LGBTQ do not agree with it. 2014, InterVarsity, which is a big student, Christian student organization, they hold to the same beliefs we believe. They've been on campuses probably for 60, 70 years. They have a great track record. They're on over 600 campuses, InterVarsity. 23 of their groups were closed down on 23 campuses. They were closed down. And they were closed down because InterVarsity asked their Christian leaders to sign a biblical basis of faith. And the university says that does not coincide with our values and our inclusiveness. Your leaders should come from any faith or no faith. It's bizarre. It's absurd. The Christian Union at Birmingham University has been suspended because its constitution says that at our Christian Union meetings, you cannot have atheists or non-Christians speaking from the podium. They've been suspended. That's like saying to us here at Christchurch, Midran, Midran, you've got to close down. Why? Because you won't allow atheists and non-Christians to preach every other week. It's absurd. It's bizarre. But it's happening. In 2004, a pastor in Sweden called Ake Green, he was sentenced to one month in jail because he preached against homosexual practice in his small little church in a small village in Sweden. So he probably preached from Romans 1. He unpacked the passage in their church with their members, and he was jailed for one month 
because he preached Romans 1. Do you know that the Boy Scouts have been fighting for 20, 30 years because there are groups who want to say Boy Scouts should include girls, Boy Scouts should include atheists, and remember the original Boy Scout um, um, promise was to serve God, so they have been in, in legal action year after year for 30 years because the groups are saying you ought to allow girls, you ought to allow atheists, and you ought to allow gay leaders. They will lose in the end. It's interesting that the target is Christianity, 95% of the time. You do not find this with Muslim groups on campuses. Campuses don't force Muslim groups to have non-Muslim leaders because they know if they do that, they'll have their head cut off. <laughs> Jewish groups are not forced to have Gentile leaders. No, it's Christians. We are the target. We need to understand that. And these are not isolated cases. In April this year, you, so you all know about Israel Falau, who was the Wallaby rugby player, uh, he's, uh, he was born in Tonga. Um, Peter's just told me he used to be a Mormon, and then he was converted to Christ. That's why he's so. That's why he's so passionate. And uh, his problem was that he was a Christian. That was his problem. So on his Instagram account, this is what he wrote: Warning: Drunks, homosexuals, adulterers, liars, fornicators, thieves, atheists, idolaters, hell awaits you. Repent. Only Jesus saves. His contract was terminated. He's appealing that, as we all know. But that's absurd. Surely that's his personal belief. That's his personal views. And that's what I believe. Now, I may have stated it slightly differently, but that's not the point. The point is, does he, doesn't he have a right to express his views? He's not... He's not He's not hurting anybody. He actually made it quite clear previously that he's very happy to have other, to have gay players playing in his team. He has no problem with that. He's just expressing his beliefs. Why can't he express his beliefs? And surely those are our beliefs. If I don't repent of lying and stealing, if I don't repent and trust in Christ, well, I'll go to hell. And so will you. So there's a whole new culture. And this is just the opening skirmishes, folks. This is not the end point. It's not turning. I don't know. These are just the opening skirmishes. All right, second question. Why is it happening? So let me go to the whiteboard here so that you can just understand where all of this is coming from. And you've seen this before, but it's important that we understand this. So when we talk about all these issues, be it abortion, be it LGBTQ, uh, be it your worldview, uh, um, be it these kind of moral, cultural issues, it's important that we understand where it comes from. So you know this drawing, uh, that there are, there are many worldviews, but here are two dominant worldviews. Um, the one worldview is our worldview. We are Christians. And so we believe that there is a God, and he's the creator, and he is separate and distinct, but involved in his world. 
So that means that we believe that there's an external God, there's an external creator, there's an external authority, there's an external purpose outside our own little world and our own little lives. And when we are talking about truth claims, we are looking to an external authority for the basis of truth. So that is where we come from. Where does someone from the new left come from? And there may be some here this morning, and you have a right to your views, and you have a right to express your views, though not from this pulpit. Um, <laughs> the second worldview, there is God in the world, and, well, it's obvious. That's your second worldview. There's no God. There's no truth. There's no absolutes. There's no external creator. There's no external authority. So we've got to make it up ourselves. So we either make it up by popular opinion, we make it up through the media, we make it up through democracy, we make it up through opinion polls, but we're on our own, and we make up our own rules. And either we make them up through democracy or opinion polls, or we may make them up through the barrel of a gun. So that's what the communists wanted you to do. That's what the Nazis wanted you to do. They were going to enforce their worldview, because there's no God, there's no absolutes, we will tell you what to think. We will tell you what to believe. And don't dare b uh, believe anything else. So it's sometimes when you're talking to someone, perhaps you're having coffee and, and, and you get into a heated conversation, I think it's helpful. It almost takes the sting out of it. When you say, say, say to the person, we have different worldviews, so let's, let's agree to that. And it almost takes the sting out of it. And you can draw it on the napkin. This is where I'm coming from. This is where you're coming from. So we respect each other, and um, they may not respect you, but you respect them. And you say, that is your worldview. You say that's right, I say that's right. So let's understand where we're coming from, because that affects everything else. Abortion, LGBTQ, euthanasia, all these things are symptoms of what your worldview is. All right. Let's talk about old tolerance and new tolerance. So old tolerance, which comes from the Reformation, which comes from Genesis 1, says that each human being is made in the image of God. Each human being has infinite value. Each human being has infinite dignity and worth. Each human being has the right to their own beliefs, to express them, to believe them. Old tolerance says this, and here's the, here's the key to it. I may strongly, strongly disagree with your view, but will, I will fight to the death for you to be able to express your view. So let me take an example. It's not going to happen, but let's take an example that the government says we are going to close down mosques in South Africa. We as Christians should be the first to protest. Because we believe in the freedom of religion, the freedom of speech, the freedom of thought, the freedom of expression. People have a right to their beliefs. And though I completely and totally disagree with those beliefs, and I know those beliefs have consequences, nonetheless, I will protest against any motion which says we close down a particular religion. 
Why? Because we believe in Genesis 1. We believe that each human being has infinite value. They have a right to their own beliefs. They have a right to, to associate with who they want. They have a right to express their beliefs as they want. The new tolerance is different. The new tolerance says, so that's the old tolerance. You have a right to express your view. I may totally disagree with it, but I believe you have a right to express it. And to, and, and to state it, and to believe it, and to have association with other Muslims, and to, and to practice your practices of worship, um, as long as they don't harm other people. The new tolerance says no. The new tolerance says there's no God, there's no creator, there's no absolutes, there's no right and wrong. We must allow everybody their own preferences, their own values, their own behavior, their own beliefs. But then they go further. And they say, because there are no absolutes, anyone who says there's an absolute must be silenced. Why must they be silenced? Because they are intolerant. Why must they be silenced? Because they are, they are committing hate speech. Who defines hate speech? Why should my opinion be hate speech, but your opinion not be hate speech? It's a nonsense. That's a nonsense category. Then it's the new left that has, that has, uh, uh, they've put out new terminology. And everyone just accepts it. Why, why should we accept it? Why, why should we accept their definition of tolerance? Why should we accept their definition of hate speech? But what is happening is they are saying everyone can have their own view, their own practices, except those who disagree with us. Except those who have a different view of ours. My dear friends, that's not tolerance. That's intolerance. In fact, it's not that different from Nazi Germany, which decided, they decided, they have no external God, no external absolute, so we decide who is human and who is not human. We'll decide. It's like old apartheid. We decide who is a first class and who is a second class citizen. That comes from a godless worldview. Three comments about the new tolerance. Number one, it is not neutral and it is not tolerant. They are only tolerant if you agree with them. So if you don't agree with them, they call it hate speech and they write you off as being intolerant. It is, it is the height of absurdity. So just take a step back. If you say everybody has freedom of speech, if you say everyone must be tolerant of other people, that means you are tolerant with people you disagree with. That's the nature of tolerance. How can you then say, we define what tolerance is, we define what is accepted, if you don't agree with that, you are intolerant. It's sort of the, you, 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 uh, you remember that, that, that analogy. Um, sometimes people will say, you know, all, all roads lead to God. And they're a little bit different, but they actually lead to the same God. It's like going up a mountain, all the roads lead up to the top, and there is God. And they're all a bit different, 
but it's the same God. Now, we think that's a statement of humility and fairness and democracy. It's not. They don't see themselves as one of those roads. No, they see themselves in an airplane. Looking down at all of us stupid religious people, and we're all trying to find God, and they have omni, omniscience to know that there's only one God. They are not seeing themselves as one road going up the mountain. No, they're standing above all of us. That's arrogance. That is unbelievable arrogance. And we need to call them out for that. It's also false. There's this kind of thinking that says, if we can only get away with, get, uh, if, if we can only get rid of religion, you can, you can have religion in your private life, um, but you can't have it in your public life. And if we can only get rid of religion and fundamentalism, we will have a peaceful world. That's the kind of thinking. Um, if we can only get away from Christian and Muslim fundamentalists, we'll have a peaceful world. My dear friends, that is absolutely untrue. We dare not forget that in the 20th century, the most cruel, oppressive, oppressive regimes in the 20th century were not led by Christians or Muslims. They were led by atheists. They were led by these people. Hitler was an atheist. Stalin, Lenin, Chairman Mao, Pol Pot, Death, death rate summing over 100 million people by atheistic regimes, not religious regimes. I'm going to look at how do we respond. Just two conclusions that, 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 that the new left will bring about. So we mustn't think that we at the end. We're at the bottom. No, we're at the start. It's the opening skirmishes. It's going to get worse. We're not going to end with transgender, LGBTQ, uh, with abortion, uh, with euthanasia in exceptional cases. No, no, no. It won't be long before it will be accepted. Pedophilia will be accepted. Sex with children. Polygamy will be accepted. It will be normalized and it will be legalized. And the broad definition of, of polygamy is you have one or more men and you have one or more women, which constitutes a marriage. So you can have two or three men, five or six women. That's a marriage. Well, why not? They're consenting adults, aren't they? It's their preference. We'll have bestiality, sex with animals. That will be normalized. We'll have incense. Incest. Why can't a brother and sister, the, the one's 34, the one's 36, they're both consenting adults, why can't they live together? It's their preference, it's their desire, who's to say that's wrong? Euthanasia. You must look at the euthanasia laws in Canada. It is frightening. You know, we have, we have little uh, um, ice cream vans going around, right? Selling ice creams. They have euthanasia vans going around. It's a little bit more structured. <laughs> but you can have it at home. You can have it at home. By choice. Just Google euthanasia laws in Canada. 
It is frightening. There will come a point where we don't have to make a statement like we made this morning because Martin 64, when he's 65, phew. <laughs> Guys, it's coming. And I am protesting. <laughs> so this is not the end. This is the beginning. And we are at the twilight of our civilization. That's how it is. We've got to, we, we've got to understand that. These are not isolated things. Just as the, as, as the Roman Empire fell, after 800 years it fell. The Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Greeks. The Greeks were the dominant empire. I mean, where are they now? They're an economic basket case. They were top of the hoop, gone. Do you think it'll be any different to an arrogant Western world? God will judge the arrogant. Make no mistake, God raises up nations, God brings down nations. And he will judge the Western world. All right, how do we respond? We're going to go a little bit over time this morning, so please bear with me. Number one, we need to realize how serious this is. This is not a small matter. We are a couple of years behind the U.S. and US, um, U.K., but their values influence us. I know we're African, but these things influence us. I've been in the middle of the Congo. Not only do I see Chelsea shirts, but I'll have somebody asking me, in the middle of Congo, what do I think about LGBTQ? Do you know that a couple of years ago, David Cameron, the, uh, the conservative party leader, he was prime minister, he wasn't that bright, as we all know, and uh, he passed a law which said that foreign aid to African countries will be tied to their policies on abortion and LGBTQ. So they will make foreign policy, they will make foreign aid much more complicated if those countries don't agree with their policies. The matter is serious. The matter is even more serious. Your children, you've got small children, young children, teenagers children in their 20s and 30s, if you don't get on top of this thing, you may get to a position where you hold to biblical principles and your children hate you. That should be our fear. They are influenced by social media, by movies, by their friends, by the culture, all the time. And if we're not ahead of the curve, we may get to a position where you disagree with, with, with your children and they feel so strongly about it that they hate you. It is serious, this. Secondly, we need to speak the truth in love. So Paul says, speak the truth in love. It's not truthless in our love and it's not loveless in truth. We believe in truth, capital T. That is our worldview. That's why Jesus said, John 18, the passage that that uh, Banele read to us, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So we need to get that balance right, and you need wisdom, especially with family. We need wisdom, great, great wisdom that we can speak. So the two dangers is that you're so loving that you never confront conflict, that you don't have courage, that you never say anything. You always duck the hard questions. The other danger is that you speak the truth, but there's no love. So you're so straight that it's your straightness that offends people, not the content. So we need to speak straight, but we do it with respect. 
We do it with courtesy. We are winsome in speaking the truth. Number three, Christian tolerance never includes force or coercion. Because we believe, because I believe my Muslim friend, and I have Muslim friends who I love, they have a right to their beliefs. I disagree with them, and we discuss and argue, and we love each other. There's no force. There's no coercion. If you look at Paul, have a look at, uh, you can't look at it now, Acts 19, Acts 18, Acts 19. Paul is in Greece. It is a pagan, multi-faith context. What does he do? He reasons with people. He, he talks to people. He discusses with people. He preaches. Uh, there are different views. He tries to persuade people. And when they disagree with them, he doesn't call down uh, lightning from heaven. No. He, he walks away. They have a right to their opinions. So it never includes force or coercion. Number four, we do need to expose the dishonesty of the new tolerance or what we may call its intellectual bankruptcy. They claim to be tolerant, that all beliefs, all behaviors, all values, all religions are equal. They claim that we ought to be tolerant of everything except a different definition of tolerance. So long as your beliefs do not claim to be absolute or exclusive, you will be accepted. But as soon as you, you include any absolute, it's called hate speech. We need to call that out. Someone who says there are no absolutes is making an absolute statement. So it's an oxymoron. When you say there are no absolutes except my statement which says there are no absolutes, you see how illogical that is. There's an intellectual bankruptcy in that. We are saying there is truth, but everyone has the right to express their views, their beliefs, even if they disagree with our beliefs. They are saying, no, if you make any absolute statements, then that's hate speech. We need to call out the intellectual bankruptcy of it all. Number five, we need to be prepared to suffer. So we don't know much suffering. We've been privileged. So we can be thankful. We've lived in the West. We've enjoyed a great deal of protection but that is going to come to an end. It's going to come to an end. Um, Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake. Paul talks about the privilege of suffering for Christ. So, you may lose your job. That could well happen next year or two or three because of your views. I could lose my job. I could be charged with hate speech. If I read Romans chapter 1, when we talk about LGBTQ, we must be prepared to suffer. Number six, we keep evangelizing and preaching the gospel and planting churches. So our primary concern is not civilization or culture. No, our primary concern is the kingdom of God, preaching the gospel sharing our faith, which brings freedom, not tyranny. Freedom brings hope. 
brings life, forgiveness. We keep evangelizing. We keep spreading the gospel. We keep planting churches. We want everyone to come to know Christ. We want the leaders of the new left to come to know Christ. If there's a leader of the new left who's your brother or sister, you need to love them. Go on holiday with them. You need to show them the love, the freedom we have in Christ. Lastly, we need to delight in God and trust in God. So the Christian church has often lived through persecution. In fact, most of the Christian church through the ages has been persecuted. The church in China is persecuted. The church in Muslim countries is persecuted. They've learned how to be a persecuted church. They've learned how to be an underground church. It's not going to happen tomorrow or next year, but it's coming. And our delight and our joy is in the Lord. He's in control. He's sovereign. He calls us to be faithful where he's placed us. And so we are joyful in that. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Remember that. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So they oftentimes we feel weak. No, no, no. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So we speak, we stand, we love, we share the gospel, we find our joy in the Lord. Here we are. God has placed us in this place at this time to serve him, to be distinct and different and to pass on the gospel to the next generation. Lord, thank you for that privilege that you've given us. Help us to be faithful. Give us wisdom that we are wise as serpents. Um, but also give us courage and backbone so that we can stand for Christ. Well, let's pray. Let's spend a few moments of quiet as we reflect on God's word. Father, as we've been talking about these heavy things, and in some ways they are depressing, and they discourage us, we thank you for Christ and the cross. We thank you that Christ and the cross has triumphed over every civilization that has set itself up against God. And Father, we thank you that we belong to Christ. We thank you that we can be joyful, that we can delight in God, even in difficult circumstances. Father, you have called us to be salt and light. We sometimes don't realize how rotten things are or how dark things are. So help us to go to the true light every day, to find our strength, to find our courage, to find our backbone, to give us wisdom 
that we may share the great freedom and the great joy of knowing Christ. Father, we thank you for the death of Christ that makes all of this possible. Nothing else makes sense but Christ and the cross. So we pray, Lord, that we may never forget what Christ has done for us.